Well, this week we're going to continue um, our look into She Did What as we study. Yes. As I explained to Emily earlier this evening, I'm not quite animated to pull off that soundtrack. So those of you that can do that, maybe I should just, like, we can start, like, a a sound effect. See? See, we got this. So when I point at you, just give me... All right. Got this down. How many of you guys have heard um, the saying that life is what happens when you're making other plans? I believe that's attributed to John Lennon, um, who said that. But that's kind of um, the story of my life, if you will. (laughs) You know, often we kind of map things out. And those of you that have known me for any length of time know that I am extremely anal retentive. And so, yeah. Yeah, I actually make lists that include making other lists. So it's, it's, it's pretty pathetic. But I'm, I'm very, very, very uh, anal retentive. And so I, I have a tendency to map things out and to at least attempt uh, to plan my life. It rarely ever happens that way. But, you know, in my mind, we've got plans of what I'm going to do and what I want to do and who I'm going to spend my life with and, and all this other stuff. And then life happens, and our, our plans are kind of changed. Or sometimes I'm, I'm often guilty of the fact that I am so bent on the things that I have mapped out that I, I kind of forget to look up sometimes. And I never realize that life sort of passes me by. And all of a sudden I wake up and it's Saturday and I don't know what happened because I was so busy marking things off my list. And when that happens, you know, I often take the time to reflect and realize that I really didn't experience life that week. And then we soon discover that We really can't control life. It never goes as we plan, and there are lots of surprises along the way. One such surprise, um, about, gosh, eight, ten years ago or so now, I had one of those moments in my life. I began a journey uh, that I'm still on today. My heart, as many of you are aware, began to, to noticeably fail began to have all sorts of problems. My life was torn apart. I had not planned on the pain that came with this or the fun ambulance rides or the hospitals, the doctors. Hadn't planned on practically purchasing an ambulance, nor had my parents um, and, those, and my insurance company who got to, to hit a lot of those financial situations. Um, I never thought that while I was still in, in high school and into college, um, that I would have doctors trying to figure out why my heart didn't work, why my brain didn't receive sufficient oxygen, or, or why I had been without a pulse on several occasions. That was definitely not in my plan. See, when I was young, I had this, we'll call it a God complex, if you will. Uh, I was a little bit of a, I don't want to use the word jock, but I, I was more of the, um, well, let's see. what's this? We, we can go with that. We'll go with that. That's good enough. So, you know, again, when I was, what's that? Oh, she said no at all. That was, that was her loving, that was her loving attribute. Point is that when I, as I was growing up, as most people do, I had plans of all these things I wanted to do in my life and what I wanted to be if I ever chose to grow up and, and all these other things. And, and none of them involved spending 60% of my life in hospitals. None of them involved spending that money that I was going to spend buying my really nice car on buying an ambulance with sirens. None of it 
involved uh, the pain and the, and the anguish that goes with that. And this sort of, of life change, this sort of change in plans, is what we see in our scripture lesson today. If you'll turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Mark, we're going to read um, chapter 5, verses 21 and following. I am ready, reading from the NIV, and the same is on the screen behind me. And it says this under the title of a dead girl and a sick woman. Verse 21 says, When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman who was there and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for twelve years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. She had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak, because she thought, if I could just touch his clothing, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped. She felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answers. And yet you can ask, Who touched my clothes? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at her feet, and trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, like I did, and as we do, Jairus had a plan. Jesus, because of Jairus' plan, had his plan all mapped out as well. He was on his way to go and heal Jairus' daughter. Then, life happened. The woman with the hemorrhages comes along and and his plans get changed a little bit. He has to pause on his way to heal this little girl, to take care of a woman who had been bleeding for some 12 years. The scriptures tell us that she had been to every doctor. She'd been to doctor after doctor and none of them could do anything for her. In fact, as time went on, she not only didn't get better, but instead she got worse. I know I'm prone to consider the physical consequences of this. As I read that, I think about, you know, chronic fatigue from the blood loss or the low iron or the constant threat of infection, those sort of physical ailments that go with with a condition of bleeding for 12 years. But if you dive into the scriptures and and kind of parallel it to the Old Testament, we learn that there were spiritual and social consequences to this condition as well. See, as a Jew she would have been considered unclean because of her bleeding. She was segregated and set aside from all things that were considered holy in order to keep her from defiling it with her uncleanliness. No man was allowed to have her as a wife. So as long as this bleeding continued, she would continue to be socially isolated. As long as she was unclean, she was told by the religious authorities that she was unfit even to worship God. She was suffering, folks, not just physically, 
but mentally and spiritually and socially as well. And then all of a sudden, after 12 years of this condition, Jesus comes by and she was healed in an instant. And so as I read this story, and the first time I did, my initial reaction was, why in the world would it take Jesus 12 years? If he has the power to heal this woman in an instant, why did she have to suffer for 12 years? It would seem to me that the Son of God would have better timing than that. It would be logical to think that if God had just shown up some 11 years and, you know, 51 weeks earlier, she wouldn't have had to deal with all the social isolation and and the discomfort from this condition. He could have saved her from years of pain and anguish. And you guys can begin to draw the parallel to how this story may relate to my life. And I read it and I think, wasn't Jesus just a little bit too late? But as we continue in the story, we learn that no, the Bible tells us that this woman had heard of Jesus and she took it upon herself to touch his cloak so that she could be healed. I believe it's verse 27 or 28 says that she had heard of Jesus and she knew that if she could just touch his clothing, that she would be healed. If you think about it, this was, this was a desperate and a bold act by a woman who was desperate for any answer. See, remember this woman was considered unclean. So what would the people say? What would her neighbors think? What would the people of this town say if she touched this holy rabbi? He himself might rebuke her. The crowd might even stone her, as was tradition in that time. But instead, she took the risk and she reached out to Jesus anyway. Church, this was a desperate act of faith by a desperate, desperate woman. Jesus was not too late. He was right on time. See, if Jesus had come any earlier, she would not have been ready to take that leap of faith. This woman would not have been in the spiritual place that she was. She would not have been ready to to step out of her comfort zone, to take a chance on further ridicule and, and even death, a painful death at that, on the belief that Jesus Christ could heal her. When Jesus did find her in the crowd, I love what he said to her. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And church, because Jesus came when he did in that instant on that day and not a day sooner, she was ready to step out in faith. And because she stepped out in faith, she was healed. The woman with the issue of blood stepped out of faith. She left the comfort of her boat. She stepped into the raging waters where Jesus was, is, and church, he will forever be. We must must learn to live our lives by the example of these, these biblical characters, by the example of the Bible, to trust his timing and to allow his will, his plan, and his timing to play out for us. If you're like me, we way too often doubt God. We doubt his presence, and most dangerously, we doubt his ability to navigate our lives. Back in our story, there was a second person, Jairus. He was waiting. Remember, Jesus had set out to to heal his daughter. He was on a mission. And then this woman disturbed the plan. I can slightly, just slightly, relate to the impatience and the anxiety that I envisioned dwelling up in Jairus at this point. His daughter was sick. 
And I'm not a father, so I can't pretend to imagine what it's like to have a child who's sick. But this daughter was sick, even to the point of dying. And Jairus had heard about this new teacher, and he made it his mission to reach out and find this teacher, believing that he could heal his daughter as well. But the thing you have to know about Jairus is that he was a a leader in the synagogue, as the scriptures tell us. And these synagogue leaders were not even supposed to believe in the charismatic prophets such as Jesus. So again, this was indeed another desperate act of faith. Somebody who could have been socially, again, isolated. It was bad for his social resume to even believe in Jesus, to let alone step out and, and go to him believing that he would heal his daughter. Another leap of faith. Remember that when he found Jesus, he pleaded for him to come quickly because his daughter was about to die. And Jesus agreed, and he set out down the road to do so. But then this father turns around, and he looks back, and Jesus has stopped. He's standing there with the crowd. And I could almost hear this man thinking, he's going, what is with this guy? He says, someone touched him. Well, of course someone touched him. There's a crowd of hundreds of people around him. Of course, someone touched him. And frankly, I don't care who touched him because my daughter is dying. Before Jairus can turn around and get Jesus moving again, though, his friend arrives with some bad news. And we pick up the story in verse 35. And I apologize, this part is not on the screen. But in verse 35, it continues to say this. While while Jesus was still speaking... Some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Do not be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? This child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. And after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders to, lo- to not let anyone know about, what, about this and told them to give her something to eat. See, in verse 35, it began by saying, your daughter is dead. Don't bother this rabbi any longer for it's too late. I can only, once again, imagine the rage that would be in this father at this point. He goes, I am a leader in the synagogue, and this would-be teacher is wasting his time with someone who is unclean. Surely my resume is more important than some unclean woman. I'm a ruler in the synagogue. If Jesus had just come when I told him to, my daughter would not be dead. But before Jairus could could get all this rage dwelled up into words, Jesus reached out to him and said those simple words, Do not fear, only believe. 
And I can just picture the mourners around who, who had to wonder why Jesus was still coming. But Jesus, as the scriptures tells us, takes the little girl's hand and he said to her, little girl, get up. And she stood up and began to walk around. And the scriptures say that they were all amazed. They were all astonished. Church, do we allow God to amaze us today? Do we still allow our God to amaze us? I find myself, every time I read this story, relating in more and more ways. I feel as though I, too, have seen every doctor. I've had every test. I've tried every answer. And yet, I, too, still continue to get worse. Much like Jairus, it's easy for me to become impatient. It's easy for me to to want to know now. But then, as the woman who had been bleeding with her illness, I'm learning to lean on God. I'm learning to trust him to dig deeper into the plan that he has for my life instead of the one that I have, or rather had, for my own. God never ceases to amaze me. His will is far beyond the imagery of our minds. Most of you know one of my favorite scriptures is found in Ephesians, where it says, And now unto him who is able to do immeasurably more than all that we could ever ask or imagine. God will never cease to amaze us. We must live our lives in his path, in his timing, and allow him to amaze us and allow him to direct us. See, Jairus had doubted the Lord in those three simple words of disbelief. It's too late. See, the good news of the gospel is that no matter how bad that timing may seem to us, Jesus is never late. He has perfect timing, God's timing. When I read this story, sorry, when I read a story about a lady who suffered for 12 years before God's timing was fulfilled, I, I, honestly, I've, I've lost track. I think somewhere around eight, nine years I, I've, been, I've been dealing with the symptoms that a lot of you are familiar with. And every single day, I have to get out of bed and remember to give it to God. Every single day I have to remember that God is here, that his timing will prevail, and that instead I must trust and obey. Whatever is happening in all of our lives this evening, know that Jesus is there. I'd like to be able to tell you this evening that I don't struggle regarding my medical condition. I'm waiting for the day that I can say that, but I can't. I'm often anxious because I want to know right now. I want to put it on my checklist. I want to go day by day working through my my plan of what I'm going to do. You know, it's funny, I'm such an anal guy that cell phones have ushered in a whole new level of anal retentive for me because they have apps now that allow other people to put stuff on my on my to-do list. And so when I was when I was working um, at the Church of God, my secretary would continually put stuff on my calendar, and it just popped up on my phone. And so, like, it was this ever-revolving to-do list. And, and people know me, who knew me at that time, knew that I never really knew what was going on, but I knew my phone did. And so if it went dead, I was in a lot of trouble, because that thing was, was leading my path. And that plan, that calendar, that checklist became all that was important to me. 
And that's kind of how I live. I, I, I look for that day. When I wake up every single morning, the first thing I do is open my, my phone and read the, the text messages that are coming in from you all. And the <laughs> that's the first thing I do every single day is catch up on um, I have a list of, of all the One Love people on my Facebook and my Twitter and all these things, and I read what's going on in the life of this church. And then every single day I pray and I, and I do my devotions, and I'm waiting for the day that I'm going to wake up, check my calendar to see what I have for today, and it's going to read that God is going to heal me today. I'm the kind of person who wants this clear, booming voice from heaven. I want the burning bush I want God to send me a text message. I want God to do something to tell me what to do. I get impatient. But instead, I've had to learn to be more patient. I've had to learn to let each day worry about itself and to focus on God's plan for me today in this instant, in this moment. See, church, there's been times over the last 10 years where I didn't know what was going to happen to me. And in fact, there's times in every one of our lives, we call it life, where we don't know what's going to happen to us. And medically, specifically today, I live with a lot more assurance that there is an answer out there. And I believe with with the way technology and science, and most importantly, the way our God is, I believe that there is an answer. But there was a day where I didn't know. I didn't know what tomorrow held, if tomorrow held. I didn't know what the next 10 minutes held. Some of you have been there. Some of you, it's happened in your living room, where you just don't know what the next minute's going to hold. And I had to come to this realization that if I was going to die in the next two weeks, if I was going to die in the next six months, if I was going to fall over right now, as some of my doctors thought may very well be the case, that I had whatever the balance of that time was, be it two weeks, six months, or 30 seconds, to do whatever it was that God had for me to do, and he was not done with me yet. He had not completed his works in me, regardless of how many things were checked off or left to be checked off on that cell phone that I carry around. This past few years, especially the last couple in the life of this church, have been the most memorable years of my life. And I'd like to say that it has everything to do with you guys, and a lot of it does, but it really has everything to do with the fact that I serve a great physician. I know who holds tomorrow. And church, I've had to learn over the last 10 years that it's not my doctors, as incredible as they may be. It's not my nurses, my lab technicians, or any of the other wonderful medical staff that I've been dealt with. It is our God who holds tomorrow. God has opened my eyes to my own ignorance and the ignorance of mankind. He's taught me to seek after his heart. Too many times, I think we, as humans, we become complacent. We're too satisfied with where we are and and where we think we're going. We never look up. We never look back. And we never look past what it is that we have in this moment. It's funny. I was just telling Brad this afternoon before we got here today. There's a new commercial on. uh, It's a new, I think it's a Chevy commercial. And I was making fun of the guy because his opening line is, I wake up every day thinking about the future. I was like, you're a geek. That's... (laughs) But I'll tell you, church, sometimes... (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? This is the guy who has an order for his pens. But, but I think sometimes as humans, we're guilty of that. We never look past where we are and what we currently have. We so often, we stay in our comfort zones. We stay where we are, and we never venture outside to what God has in store for us each and every day. 
And I can tell you from experience, because at the beginning of this, I became very, very, very depressed, and my life got really, really small, became very complacent. Each day is filled with new blessings, new strengths, and more perseverance, and believe it or not, more reason to live on. That's not my intention to focus just on physical pain tonight. Consider this, when you look at the people who attend even this church, what do you see? Scary, don't, don't tell me. But <laughs> before coming, well, a, a couple jobs before coming here, I worked in a very large church. And, well, not mega large, but, but large in comparison to our 50. Um, so, so there's this church, and I walk into it every single week. And I saw some impressive people. We had doctors and lawyers and, and people whose shoes cost more than my car. And, you know, those sort of people. Very impressive people. They're dressed in their real fine clothes. And, and from the outside, it seems like they had it all together. And they had this perfect life. Or so they attempted to portray. If I looked a little harder, when I walked on the platform each week, I could look across. And as I, I can't do it much in this church because I stand behind you all. But in, that, in the more traditional church, I, I would sit on the platform and I'd look out as people worshipped. And people's faces are so telling. And as I looked into the faces of these people, I saw hurting people in need of comfort. I saw troubled people in need of peace. And I saw sick people in need of healing dressed in their fine clothes and their Sunday best, as you will, sick people in need of healing. There's a pastor in Columbus who wrote an article, and it's been several years ago now. It was called, Would Every Non-Herter Please Stand Up? He pointed out that people come to church wearing their best clothes and their best fake smiles. Everybody looks happy, and so we assume that nothing's wrong. We assume that everything's okay and everybody's got everything all together. But he suggests that if we look beyond the facade and realize that the, the pews, the chairs, the beanbags, whatever it is you sit on, are full of hurting people. That's what I love about this church. This church, like any other and like any other body of people, is likely full of hurting people in need of answers and healing and, and strength and all of these things just as much. But this church has a vigor and a passion to do something about it. This church has a sincere passion to love God, to love people, and to show people the true love of Jesus Christ. I see that in the people of this church, in this church collectively, and that excites me. That makes me want to get out of bed and be a part of this body every day. There's problems of all sorts that people are fighting. No, big, no matter how big or, or small they may be, they certainly don't sing, seem so small to us. Whatever it is you're dealing with seems huge in your own life. Maybe it's a boring job or a, a poor grade, a friend, a parent, a, an unresponsive spouse. or wh- Whatever it is, the list goes on and on, and, and the stories are, are numerous. The lonely, the dying, the discouraged the exhausted, I'd venture to say that they're all represented even in this small group this evening. You, like the woman in our story, may have been bleeding spiritually or emotionally for many, many years. You've suffered a tremendous loss or an illness. You may be facing tests, 
Maybe it's the illness or death of a loved one or a family member, family issues, relationship issues, financial struggles, struggles at work or school, or wherever it is that your life takes you. The list is unending, and decisions need to be made. I don't know, but Jesus has never been late yet in my life. And I'd venture to say that the scriptures tell us that he'll never be late for you either. In the face of what the world may tell us is wrong, the word of God has good news. Jesus said in Matthew that if you will come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. In our perspective, in our mindset, we may have think that he should have healed whatever is wrong with us years ago. Maybe he should have fixed whatever is troubling us, whatever it is that we're praying about. He should have answered it right now. We might wish that he would tell us in that clear, booming voice that I mentioned or send us that text message in the morning or whatever it is. Maybe we wish that he would have prevented the division or the illness altogether. Maybe he should have healed the sickness before it started or maybe before the person died or just prevented it altogether. Jesus knows what time is right if we will only trust him. In some cases, God chooses to resolve the problem immediately. In some cases, God chooses to reach out and in an instant solve that problem, even miraculously. In others, such as my own, he grants the power to endure that situation. To endure the difficulty, and indeed, to triumph over it. I'm reminded, my grandfather died, um, gosh, in December, I think. And as we were planning that service, my younger brother was, was looking for a song to sing. He, he's the true musician in the family. And, and there's one song that comes to my mind in circumstances when, when I think of illness, or death, or, or, or such surroundings. There's a song by Chris Wright called The Untitled Hymn. And another one of my quirky characteristics is that I like the third verse of every song. It's the only verse I ever like, and it's always my favorite. It's the third verse. And so the third verse of this song, one of the lines says, Come to Jesus. And it says, I'll go in peace and laugh on glory's side. That church gives me the hope to know that regardless of which one of those healings, maybe he's going to heal me now, maybe he's going to heal me later, or maybe he's going to choose to heal me in eternity, that I will leave this world in peace, and I will stand on the side of glory and laugh at the problems that seem so big on this side of eternity. I'm a better person because of all the stuff that I've gone through. If God had prevented my illness stopped my heart from failing, or allowed me to continue to live the way that I wanted to live my life, according to the plans that I had set forth for my future, I would be living alone, concealed within myself, in a really big house, with a really nice car, and no friends. And likely, no God. I never would have experienced the life that he had planned for me. Through my struggles, I've had to learn to put my burdens upon him and to follow wherever it is that he leads me, even to Hubertucky. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not touching that one. (laughs) 
If I had been healed some 10 years ago as I prayed in that moment, I never would have stepped out of my comfort zone of my everyday life. I never would have taken the leap of faith and became the guy that I am today. And I most certainly would not be standing before you this evening. This caused me to be stretched beyond myself. One of my my dearest friends, her and I used to dream when we were little about, as I said, doing all these things, being famous, making money, and all this stuff. And, and, and as we grew up, her heart was in a much better place than mine, and so it worked for her. Um, and she told me one day as we were talking, she said, Brett, you need to learn to reach beyond the attainable. She said, you need to learn to reach beyond what it is that you yourself can attain. The scripture's full of such illustrations. The healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda, which is recorded in John, is a dramatic example of Jesus' wonderful and wondrous, miraculous power. Just like him, I've had to be motivated, pushed to do something that I couldn't have done without God. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus also motivates the lame man to stretch beyond himself. In verse 8 of, of John 5, it says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. You see, church, as we go through the scriptures, we frequently see that Jesus requires a dedicated effort on the part of the person who's making a request. It's not always, but very often he requires a response of faith before he heals. He said to the ten lepers, Go show yourself to the priest. And when they went, they were healed. He said to the man with a withered hand, Stretch forth your hand. And when the man made the effort, his hand was healed. Jesus put clay on the eyes of a blind man and said, Go and wash in the pool. And when he did, he could see. See, it's faith. It's believing that some man who was walking down the street and put clay and mud on my eyes and told me to go get into a pool, believing that that was going to heal me, that act of faith, The action, as we spoke about last week, is what it took to be healed. Speaking of action and of faith and of perseverance, Brad's going to share a little later some exciting news in the life of the church, but let me do it. So there's this... (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, Brad told you guys last week to start praying about a building, and, and most of you guys, a lot of you guys, uh, know the story of, of how this church came to be, and I'm not going to labor with telling you that whole story. I'd love to. I'd love to tell the story, but, but ask me later. So, gosh, in November of 2009, I think, Brad and I began conversations about this church at the unlikely event of a family reunion. And that continued over months in what was kind of a joking manner until April of, of the next year. And, and a lot of you guys became involved at that time. And then we launched in September. And we've been at this holding public services for, gosh, year and a half or so now. And so many of you guys have watched me stand up here countless times and say, guess what? We're moving. We've got a building. God gave us this. We're going to do this. And if you guys can give us $4 million a month, we're going to buy a building. And then you've watched me come back the next week and say, well, our tithe was terrible last week, so we're going to stay here. And you've heard me do this cycle over and over and over again. 
And the part you haven't seen is the part where Brad and I sit throughout the week and bang our heads against walls because we don't understand. I can tell you earnestly that Brad and I have spent a lot of time, as have the other leaders of this church, on our knees in prayer for this church, for what it is that God has us to do. And I'll tell you, much like my health situation, there's been many a nights where I've sat up and I say, God, why? I don't get it. You called me to leave what little bit of success, worldly success, that I felt that I had claimed, to move to Huber Heights, Ohio, to plant a church with people I don't even know, and yet you still won't give me a building. I've done every single thing that you've told me to do. What is it? And we got to a point where we would sit in our leadership meetings and we would pray, God, if this is not what you have for us, then slam the door shut. And he did. Multiple times I've been hit in the face with a door (laughs) in the last couple of years. And I have to tell you, it began to hurt. And it began to feel like this building that we are in was going to be our church. And I'm not saying that uh, that wouldn't have been fruitful and that God wouldn't have used it. But I knew in my heart that God was telling me that he had something. And for those of you that haven't drawn the conclusion of what Brad's going to tell you later... I'll let him tell you. But, um, <laughs> but what that is, church, the illustration here is just much like the, the woman with the, who had suffered for 12 years. And much like these illustrations of faith that we've discussed this evening, God has taught us to be faithful. And never once has this body backed down. Never once has this group of people lost their fervor or their perseverance or their drive. And church, God has huge, huge things in store for this church. We will give him our pains and our trouble. If we believe that in his timing, when the timing is right, he will be there with power to heal and to give new life. I promise you it will not come in the time or even the way that we expect it. But it will come by grace to those who truly believe and will serve him. I personally am handicapped by physical ailments, but we are all handicapped by a sin, by a physical discomfort, a a mental, a spiritual, some sort of ailment. And we cannot heal ourselves. There was a day I thought I could you know, I would go to my doctors and I would listen to them tell me to, to eat better. And one of my doctors actually for two years had me convinced that if I would drink 160 fluid ounces a day, that I would stop passing out. For the life of me, I cannot figure out how that made any sense. But her answer to me was, drink Gatorade and put salt on your food. And I did. I mean, religiously. I salted my ice cream once. That didn't work. Don't, don't try it. But, but I, I would salt everything. I would drink all this water. I was drinking Gatorade like crazy because I believed that I could heal myself. And I believed that this doctor, who was very well-meaning, um, could heal me. And the fact is that we cannot heal ourselves. But the blood-stained hands of Jesus Christ can and will. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds, we are healed. We will be healed. 
The Bible never said God never promised that it would be an easy road. The scriptures again tell us, take my yoke upon you, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. And so there was a moment that motivated me. I was at a church service once, and a famous Christian evangelist by the name of David Ring was speaking. And I happened to be there. I don't even know why I was there, to be completely honest. Um, But I was sitting way up in the front of this church service, which was unusual and uncharacteristic for me in the first place. And in the midst of, of hundreds of people there, in the midst of the greatest struggle of my life, without him knowing anything about it, this man looked straight off the platform into my eyes as if I was the only one in that room. And he stared me down and said, I've got cerebral palsy. What's your problem? And in that moment, I began to cry and I began to weep because this was a man who had overcome his hurts, his struggles to live the life that God had in store for him. Who's a man who, at least from the outside, appeared to have far more physical concerns and constraints than I could even begin to complain and imagine about. But see, church, if we lay our burdens upon Jesus, if we step out on faith and follow his lead, he'll teach us the way of the right. We'll walk through life in his timing, in his direction, and we'll break where it is that he tells us to break. And it's through these hard times that we'll overcome our fears and our challenges and our anxieties. We'll faithfully grow closer to God and serve our risen Lord. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And through the faith and the perseverance that was illustrated in these stories this evening, through this unclean woman, One Love Church has been found faithful. And God has opened the floodgates of blessings upon this church in numerous ways. His hand has been seen in this movement, in the lives of you people in the last couple of years. And I'm excited to go into the next chapter and see what he has for us. I'm excited to continue to be found faithful. And in his timing, he'll continue to provide. Pray with me as Brad comes to close us. God, we thank you, Lord, for your timing. We thank you for the realization, God, that we can't do these things in our strength. Lord, we thank you for the realization that these problems that seem so huge in our lives, God, that even though they're, they're just little grains of salt in your eyes and your perspective, God, that they also are big to you because they trouble us. Lord, and we thank you for your promise that if we are faithful, that if we will take action, God, if we will follow you and wait on your timing, that when your timing is right, God, you will be there with the faith, the power, and the willingness, Lord, to heal us of whatever it is we struggle with. God, we ask that your hand would continue to be seen in this body and that we would continue to be a faithful people. God, we ask that as we continue in the life of this church, Lord, and in our individual lives, God, that you would lead us, that we would allow you to lead us. We would set aside our plans, Lord, and and whatever it is that we think we have in store for us and set that aside, put it on the shelf and subside, God, to the ultimate plan that you have to lead us into the future that you have predestined. We thank you, Lord, for all this and all your so many blessings. In your name we pray. Amen.